0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Terrible sleepy time of day, right? So I'll crack at it and try and keep you awake. The great thing about the lunchtime sessions, I've talked to the people who deliver the seminars, and as Peter says, absolutely right. Uh, When you get the bottom line right, Christ died for sins fundamentally means... That he paid the penalty that God needs paid because of his holiness. Once you get that idea, sometimes called penal substitution, rock solid, clear. It's the heart of evangelical Christianity in all generations. In fact, when you study church history, if you do it at uni now or you go on in the future to study it in any kind of formal way, basically, church history is people correcting deviation from the gospel-centred truth of the cross. People move very, very quickly away to what's more attractive. So my job this afternoon is to build on the seminars uh, by, I'm going to try and do it now at the beginning and then look at some pictures with you. Uh, And I know at least two groups have done some of these pictures already at lunchtime. I really find it easier to say to my friends who don't know Jesus yet, if you come to know Jesus, okay, it's like, oh, I'm not supposed to move from here. If you come to know Jesus, (laughs) if you come to know Jesus, it's as if you've been set free from the sin and temptation that pulls you down so easy. He has the power to liberate you. I like to talk about that. It's true, and I like to talk about it. I like to talk about the fact that, though we are guilty before God, we can be made innocent, because the innocent one went to court in my place, and I was justified by him. I'm not guilty anymore. And I want to say to my friends, do you want to know that you can be not guilty before God? For people who are struggling with feeling acceptance and who've had a real rough time in life, perhaps just now or always, I want to say I can help you by telling you about Jesus to be reconciled to your very creator who can accept you and welcome you home any time. Now, these are some of the pictures of what the cross has achieved for us. And they're beautiful pictures. But watch this. This is where fundamental historical Christianity can go pear-shaped. The things that the cross has achieved are beautiful to talk about to anybody. But if we spend all our time thinking about how we can talk about the wondrous things the cross achieves to people who don't know Jesus yet... But without rooting it or having a mooring that says, fundamentally at the cross, somebody had to pay a penalty. And Jesus did it because God loves us. And if we do not turn to Christ, we're under judgment and we will pay our own price on judgment day. You can see how the thing we talked about this morning is so uncomfortable to talk about. So difficult to talk about because you're telling people they must trust because of the judgment on them. And so you can get cut off from the culture that you live in almost by always talking about the fact that Jesus had to pay a penalty. You can preach that all the time and maybe you never bridge to anyone to listen. But if you spend all your time talking about what you can have as a result of the cross, before you know it, you never talk about Actually, what punishment happened there? So, all the time in Christian Witness, we're trying to keep these two things in balance, which is why our day is structured like it is. So, my privilege this afternoon is to go on and say if penal substitution is the heart of what happens at Calvary, how can we apply that in our lives today? And I've quoted Stott in your notes, like a beautiful diamond, the cross has many facets. You can look at the cross, and they're not contradictory pictures, they're just different ones. Looking at what Jesus has made possible for us. And let me just pick up on a few of them now, and I've noted them there for you. Christ died for sin once for all, says 1 Peter 3.18, once for all. This picture is the hardest one, but we've touched on it this morning. So I'm going to start with it. If you were reading the New Testament or hearing the preachers at the time of the first century, and uh, you were, if you were Jewish, certainly, you'd understand the picture of the temple. And I've written there, here's one picture of the cross, the temple. People would have seen animals being sacrificed. They'd have watched them being killed. It was part and parcel of everyday life, blood and guts and gore. They'd have observed it. So the New Testament writers say, if you want to think of the cross, think of the temple, where God's anger is taken away, and the pollution of sin is gone. You can be made clean. Now, we've touched on this this morning substantially. Nevertheless, I'm going to start there again this afternoon. This vocabulary is all over the New Testament. In Leviticus 16, in the Old Testament, there's a Day of Atonement. And on that day, the high priest goes into a place called the Holy Place. He pulls back the curtain and walks in on his own, and he sacrifices an animal once a year on the Day of Atonement to represent the sins of the people. It happened in the temple every single year. In the New Testament, at the end of Mark's Gospel... With this picture in mind, it says this in Mark 15, 37 to 38. It's not one passage now, so I'll be speeding past verses, I'm afraid. So I won't stop. But I'll read them to you and try and catch if you want to. But I'm not just doing one passage, so I'm moving a bit. But I've captured them for you on paper. When Jesus dies in Mark's Gospel, 15, 37 to 38, the curtain of the temple is torn in two from top to bottom. RIP! So if Sky Telly had been there and they'd have been on the cross and they'd have had people all over Jerusalem, they'd have gone, Okay, I think he's gone. He's going to go. Yes, he's just shouted something. It's finished. He's just it's finished. Ha! It looks like he's gone. Whoa, whoa, go to the temple, go to the temple. We've got Rowena at the temple, Rowena, what's going on at the temple now? Unbelievable, John. Unbelievable the huge curtain in the Holy of Holies has just ripped it's 3 feet wide it's 20 feet long it's just ripped open and there's no one near it unbelievable we can see the Holy of Holies back to the studio what do we make of this? well we're not sure because if we go to Leviticus 16 and the Day of Atonement which has been celebrated and remembered in our culture for generations there's no precedent for this only the high priest can go in Mark is shouting to us oi! No more need for a temple. No more need for a sacrificial animal. Christ died once for all. You feel dirty? You're right, you're dirty. The pollution of sin makes it impossible for God to come near us. But the New Testament is unequivocal. Hebrews chapter 10, 1 to 4. The temple is a pattern of things to come, a shadow of things to come. The reality is Christ. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Christ, our substitute, takes away the pollution of your sin once and for all on that cross. That's why we can be forgiven. That's why the temple is ripped open at the holy place. And that's why Jesus is the great sacrifice. It's not radical to us because we don't see temples and blood and guts and high priests and outfits every month, every week in terms of sacrifices, but once a year on the Day of Atonement when all of Britain would stop like the Jubilee and it's the Day of Atonement. We don't see it, so it's not a big hitter for us. But you know if someone's feeling... Dirty, I can't think of a better word. I really screwed it up. Honestly, there can be nobody as bad as me. Oh, don't you just love to turn to them. You may not talk about the temple because they've never seen a temple and we don't know temples. But to say somebody, somebody who was perfectly innocent and clean, not dirty at all, had never harmed anybody, never done anything wrong. He died so that you could be Pure as snow, and then when God looks at you you look perfectly clean and innocent despite everything. And it might just be the picture that for somebody who doesn't know Christ makes them think, really? Yeah, but can he forgive even that? You say, Yes, he can. That's why he died. That's why he was a sacrifice. Even that, even that. And as a Christian today, you've got to get this clear in your mind. You've got to get it clear. Though your skins are like scarlet, says the Old Testament, they will be whiter than snow. If you've trusted Christ today, there isn't one of you in this room, if you've trusted Christ, who in the eyes of God is dirty. Whatever you've done, you're clean. Now stop now and think like somebody who's totally outside of Christianity. What nonsense that is. Yeah, what do you mean, mate? So what? If I, uh, if I fill in the space for yourself. If I do that today, then I'm still clean. What kind of religion is that? That's how absurd grace is. That's how ridiculous grace is. That's how mental grace is. That's why the New Testament talks about this time and time again. 1 John 2 1 2. If anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not only ours, the sins of the whole world. He's a sacrifice. Another word for it is a propitiation. He takes the wrath away. The sacrifice atones. It's a. I, God, it's amazing. How can you even... You can't explain it even to yourself, I don't think. I'm clean. When God looks at me, I'm perfect. He doesn't see it. Because of the blood of Jesus. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us. Sending his son... As an atoning sacrifice, as a propitiation, taking away the anger for our sins. One John four ten. I'm frightened to say sometimes I love Jesus. I am, I love Jesus, because as I get older, you know what I think I've got to say all the time. Jesus loves me. I, I, I do love Him, <laughs> but not much. <laughs> you know what I mean. But he loves me so much that however poxy I am, I'm clean to him. It's outrageous. So if you're feeling sorry for yourself today because you've had a mare, stop it. Grow up. No, no, I mean it. Sound doctrine. Stop it. You have no right to wallow in self-pity for screwing it up. Somebody died for it. He has given all for it and God sees you clean because of it. So stand up, grow up, and crack on. I think it's right. There's no room for wallowing in that anymore. None whatsoever. Finally on this, Romans 3.25. God presented him, Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement. Look how explicit the language is for people who understood a temple. Paul writes, and would have preached to people, no, you've got to understand Jesus. God presented him as the sacrifice who goes behind the curtain and gets killed once and for all. He's the sacrifice, and through faith in his blood, we're saved. That's why a religious person, even a church-going person, doesn't understand you when you say, no, I'm forgiven and I can't do anything to earn it. It's all been done for me. But I say it again, and I'm not after a laugh from you. When you find yourself really sorry for yourself that you've really screwed it up, you have no right to wallow in it. It's right to be repentant, it's right to be sad at sin. We'll come back to that. But the Christian, and the longer you go as a Christian, you've got to get this crystal clear. I've really blown it. God, I'm so sorry, and then the devil's on your back going, loser, loser, absolute loser, not as good as her or him. You should give up. Go to church, go to the CU, go to your small group, don't be ridiculous, you're filthy. And the believer who understands the cross says, I am so sorry that I've let someone and God down. But you know what? Somebody paid the price for the anger that's on me for screwing it up. And he loves me so much and he will never stop loving me that I will stand up now and I will say I'm in Christ and I will move on from this in his wonderful grace. And to the non-Christian it sounds like madness because you can do what you like and say sorry. But you see, you know when somebody really loves you, perhaps you've experienced it, perhaps you haven't. When somebody really loves you, can you just go, yeah, bothered, I'll take full advantage of him, I'll really, really, full messing around with him, do what I like, stuff them. Doesn't work like that. When somebody gives everything for you, can you just stick a middle finger up at them? I don't think so. And the love of Christ is so powerful that when he enters your life, you're going around going, God, I can't believe you love me so much. At the same time, the devil goes, loser, quit, don't go to house group tonight. No, not good enough. And you've got to go, I'm in Christ, I'm forgiven. I am clean because of the blood of Jesus. Amazing love. Here I go. And guess what? Everybody else in the house group is like you. Screws it up, loser. But no one dares say it. Because we think we're not good enough and we can't be accepted. (laughs) And the Lord Jesus goes, cleaning me. See how the cross is so important? Get it clear. Somebody paid the penalty for your screw-ups. And the ones you'll do tomorrow. Liberation. Christ died for sin once for all. Once for all who trust in him. The curtain ripped. The access free for you and me despite the nonsense. Here's another picture from the law court. Christ died for sin. Once for all, that's a picture of a temple. What about this picture? The righteous for the unrighteous, the law court. Or the word is justification from God's punishment for sin. Romans 3:23 to 24. Here's New Testament t- terminology. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace. Stick with me if you're tired. Hear it again. And are justified freely by his grace. Just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. Watch for the subtlety. Think of the diamond. They're different pictures, but they complement each other. Here's the picture. If you lived in this time and read this letter or hear somebody say justified, you'd understand straight away in court. You're in court, you're in the dock, you're waiting for a sentence from the judge, you've been found guilty. What Jesus says is, I will take the penalty that you deserve. Not so long ago in Cambridge, home, there was a story in the local news and local newspaper of a guy who had knocked down a seven-year-old girl uh, in a 30-mile-an-hour limit, he was doing 35, knocked the child down. The child was quite badly hurt, was taken to hospital. The guy who knocked her down turned out to be a really nice guy, went to the hospital. When he got to the hospital, the girl's dad decked him, punched him. Uh, he went back to the hospital for three months, the child was in hospital for three months. Every day he visited the child. Uh, the child fully recovered went home. It ended up in court. Uh, He was only doing 35, but it ended up in court. And, ridiculously, lawyers, it ended up with a very short few days custodial sentence. The mum was interviewed on local TV outside the court. That's what she said. (laughs) Oh, she said. She didn't do that. She said, that guy visited our child, my husband hit him, he visited our child every day. One of the nicest guys I've ever met, actually. He was so sorry for what he did. But there was just a moment before he had a few days incarceration, there was just a moment when I thought he wasn't going to get any punishment other than the fine." And however marvelous a guy he was, he was doing 35 miles in the 30 and he could have killed my daughter. And she said, I was shocked at myself. Everything in me wanted him to go to prison. So I don't quite know what to make of the feelings. There was a big discussion on local radio and papers and stuff after. And of course, people are falling in saying, I can get that. Everything in us says, if something's wrong, it must be dealt with. And he was guilty. However much he was a nice guy. And the judge did the right thing. This isn't the temple. This is a different picture. You're meant to understand you being in the dock. And I think it's pretty impossible to give a, a sort of captivating story to fit this. I've tried so many times. You, you can only say it like it is, I think. I've not been in the dock Yet in a law court in this country, well, you you don't know, do you? I haven't yet in my life um, seen jury service, and you get a little feel of it, because it's pretty scary. And the crime that we're guilty of is so serious that we have sinned against the creator of the universe and laughed in his face and said, you're very nice, but I'm in charge of my life. I'm the boss. And we are guilty as anything. And we should be punished for our guilt. And it's as if the judge says, yeah, it's going to cost you hell. It's eternity. But you know what? Someone needs to pay because justice must be done and I'll pay. I will take your punishment. I know at this stage of the day it's hard to differentiate the sacrifice which makes us clean from the not guilty verdict because somebody else takes the penalty for us but there's slightly different images and so there will be times in your own Christian life when you have to remind yourself not about the fact that you feel dirty similar as it is to guilt but floods come across your mind or heart sometimes where you think well I've done so many things wrong that I must deserve some kind of punishment. And then ridiculous things happen, don't they? Did I fail that paper because of what I did with that person three months ago? And of course, in the call, like the day you say, you absolute muppet. You know, is God punishing me with this thing going wrong because I did that six months ago and that's why I'm going to be punished for this? I don't know if you do it, perhaps it's just me but it's the most ridiculous way to behave for this reason that every time you ever see a drama in a courtroom on the telly again or find yourself in a courtroom for any reason you have to try and remember this picture you and I are totally guilty and we deserve to be sent down and the punishment is hell but the very judge, the law maker, the law giver steps into the dock in your place and says, please walk free. Get out of here. I'll take the price for you. That's a New Testament picture of the cross. And Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, therefore, having been justified by faith, declared innocent, not guilty, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access into the hope in which we now stand. Let me just address one thing here. In Romans chapter 6, verse 1, after this passage about justification by faith and peace, Paul writes this What should we say then? Should we go on sinning that grace may abound? Stick with me on this one. Just like the sacrifice, so the law court sounds odd if you're not a Christian. It sounds as if you can just do this I'm never going to be guilty. Jesus has paid the penalty. I'll never be judged guilty, I'm totally innocent, I can do what I like. When Paul preached, a thousand times people must have said to him, if this is true, can't you do what you like? And in Romans chapter 6 verse 1 in the NIV Bible that you've got here, Paul says, shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? There's a famous old translation from the 60s by a very posh man called J.B. Phillips. And he writes this, Shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? What a ghastly thought. Isn't that lovely? It's almost Welsh. What a ghastly thought. If Jesus paid the penalty, if you're not guilty, if he's given you innocence, he gave it you, he passed it on to you, he declared you innocent with God. What love is this? What a ghastly thought to spit it back in his face. So it is right that you feel sorry for sin. But it's equally right in your repentance and sorrow to say, but I am not guilty. And I'm just like the rest of them in my church. We're all not guilty despite our sin. And we can share with each other in our lives. And we can be victorious in this. We can be liberated. Let me take you to a third picture. Christ died for sins, a penal substitution. Once for all, a sacrifice at a temple. The righteous for the unrighteous. The innocent for the guilty. Let me just do a few more with you. Start with this one to bring you to God. You see it there on your notes. This is a picture of slavery. Romans 3.24. The redemption that comes through Christ Jesus. A redemption price, some of you will have picked up at lunchtime, a redemption price was what would happen in Sheffield Market if there were slaves here, which there were in this period of history. So when Paul writes a redemption that comes through Christ Jesus, it was everyday language. We might call it a ransom. So slavery was common, you'd go into the market, you'd buy and sell human beings, and if you bought somebody as a slave, the fee was called redemption, or the ransom. So that's how you bought somebody, that was the name for buying them. Like you buy a footballer, you pay a transfer fee, if you bought a slave, you paid the redemption fee. So here's his metaphor, Jesus paid the redemption fee to buy you. Which indicates, of course, that you and I are a slave, because you bought slaves. Now, what has the cross done for me? How has it freed me from slavery? In John 8:34, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, we could spend a week, couldn't we, talking about sin and being enslaved to it if you're a slave to heroin or if you've ever met somebody who is a slave to a highly addictive drug it is awful beyond belief the consequences of being able to steal and abuse the people who love you most just to get the drug are awful what is it to be enslaved though to lying or stealing or cheating What about being in the generation we're in now with pornography? There's never been a generation like it. Never. Read every stat and the number of boys and girls, men and women from the youngest age who now, of course, are the flick of a switch are watching porn and the power it has on the neural pathways and how it becomes so addictive. Even in my growing up years, it wasn't a conversation. You'd never use that word porn in public. You just wouldn't use it. You'd never use it. It was too cringy. We're now part of a generation, you are, but I live in it. It's just normative. What it says about men and women. What about addiction to greed and money and power? The Bible is not particularly gracious to its analysis of us. We're slaves to sin. And we're addicted to things that kill us. And imagine talking to yourself first and to another person secondly and saying, when they're really struggling, they cannot stop going back to stuff that kills them. And fancy being able to say, because somebody paid a punishment, took the penalty for your sin... The one who loves you so much has come to set you free and has come to take you out of slavery. And he can change your life away from the slavery to that thing which at first was exciting but now absolutely kills you. It makes you so depressed that you can't stop. That you've done it and you say, I'm not doing it again. And then five days later, there you are. Once again, you're saying, God, I can't bear this anymore. Then we have somebody who at the cross took a punishment that as our substitute, he might ransom us from slavery to sin. It is the most marvellous thing he's done. Ephesians 1.7, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He has bought us by the blood of the cross. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He was punished and cursed that we might be rescued from the power of sin. 1 Peter one nineteen, it was not with perishable items like silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you by our forefathers. Bought, bought, redeemed, redeemed at the cross. Set free from slavery. What does this mean in everyday life? It means clinging to the cross. It means daily coming to that cross. Hourly. And saying, right, I've got my basics right. Somebody had to pay the price for sin. You took the punishment for me. Somebody was the substitute. It was God himself and his son. Right. What are the consequences of the cross? Ooh, access to God. No more temple. Straight to Jesus. Clean because of Jesus. Two. Not guilty of my sin anymore. Set free from any punishment that's due to me by Jesus. Three. Three. I'm entirely, entirely his slave. He bought me. I don't belong to sin anymore. I don't know, it's like a bungee jump or something. pathetic. I've been trying to think of analogies. You know, you're walking along a little narrow pathway on a mountainside. And sin, the old ways that tempt us and haunt us to the grave are going, Graham, feeling a bit tired over here. It'll be very nice. It'll be very, very relaxing. Just come over here and slag that bloke off we've been working with all day. Just come around here. Let's have a little gossip about him. Because you'll feel so much better because you did not particularly like him. Or Graham, you're very tired. You're very stressed. Here's a way that you can get out of it. Just switch your computer on and just watch that porn. Oh, it'll be so relaxing. Very nice indeed. By the way... Don't give money to something that you really ought to give it to. Because it would be so much nicer just to get that for you because you deserve it. And why should you give money to people who need it as much as you or more? Come on, indulge yourself. Go on, have a few jars, get a couple of bottles of wine Get Get wine, listen, nobody will ever know. Just chill now. And you know what it's like? You go off peace like this. And there you go, and you slip down the mountain, and the old master's going, Hello, come here. Doesn't it work? Doesn't it work? And you know what? You go, and you feel so good for just a while, and then, how does it feel then? Absolutely pig sick, to your stomach, stuck in a pigsty somewhere, can't get back. Right? But fear not, because though you used to be a slave to sin, you are now a slave to Christ. And he's never letting you go. And how many of you have gone through this? It may be a week, it may be a month, it may be a year. But what happens is this. You feel a tug on the bungee rope. Oi, what are you doing down there? Get yourself back up here. What are you doing down there? What, you sorry for yourself? What are you sorry for yourself for? Oh man, I've screwed it. I'm, see, I'm back here in the pigsty, epoxy, sin... And I couldn't stop and there's no point in coming back now because I've screwed it up again and I might as well go back to being a slave to sin because that's what owns me really. It doesn't take long for me to fall into sin. And the Lord Jesus is going, I bought you, I paid it, I own you, back here now. Bing, bungee rope. Back you come. And there you are. And it's that re church. It's Sunday. And you're singing your heart out, right? And you're going, oh, why didn't I realise this three months ago? I've been wallowing in self-pity and sadness and thinking this is what I'm really like. I don't really belong to Jesus. I'm really such a rubbish sinner. Why do I pretend to be a Christian at all? But I'd better go to church because people will start asking why I'm not here. And then your heart springs into life. and You go, ha ha, I belong to Jesus. Why didn't I work that out earlier? Dim wit. It's because... We don't think theologically. It's not a big word. It's not a scary word. Get the cross. Somebody innocent paid a penalty for you. As a result, you have access to him all the time. Even in the middle of the sin. I give this talk, I'm sorry, this is a bit crude, and I'll keep it as little crude as possible chap said to me, he said I started sleeping with somebody and I was thinking about the temple picture and I was torn open and I'm cleansed by the blood of Jesus once for all. I thought about the law court and that I'm not guilty because Christ took the penalty for me. The judge took the penalty. And I thought about slavery And I was in the middle of sex. And I shouldn't have been having sex. And I thought, I always go back to this in the end. And he said, said, no, I did. I said, well, I'd rather not, I think. He said, I stopped. Got up, got dressed, said, I am so sorry that I've done this to you. You see, I shouldn't be here, actually. Because I'm perfectly clean because Jesus is my sacrifice. I'm not guilty before God because the judge took my penalty. And I'm not a slave to giving in to things that I keep wanting to go back to. Because I belong to Jesus. So I'd better leave. I'm so sorry. He said, I walked out of there. i gone. Get clear on what the cross means and live in the light of it. Because, you see, you don't grow old cynical. I'm 50 years of age, and I'm living in a generation of mates who so often are just cynical. Yeah, all right. You'll soon end up doing that again. Come on, slip him a couple of shots. Go on, stick a couple of shots in his orange lemonade. We'll see what he's really like. And you want to say, mate, I'll tell you what I'm really like. Poxy! That's what I'm really like. But you know what? Jesus bought me. And Jesus paid the penalty for me in court. And Jesus made me clean. So I'm as poxy as anybody. Worse than anybody. Don't worry about me. But somebody loves me so much that I'm not going to grow old cynical. I'm going to grow old en route to meeting my lovely Jesus. Jesus. When there'll be no more sorrow and pain. i just go, hiya. Hello. Let's take our bungee rope off. You won't need it anymore. The sooner you learn these truths and get them, the less time you spend in a pigsty mixing metaphors, now aren't I? Or slipping down the slope into slavery to sin. They'll call you all your life. Come here. It's nice over here. This is where you really live. This is what you really like. You're only pretending to be a Christian. Don't listen, and when you will slip it, you will. Remember who you really are, and get back up that slope. Having been justified by faith, you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not slaves to sin. Acts 20, 28. Paul writes to the Ephesian church leaders, Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Jesus bought you with his own blood blood. He owns you. He bought you. You can either be a slave to sin or a slave to Christ. You're a slave to Christ if you've trusted in him. If you've trusted in Christ, one Corinthians six eighteen, flee sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, who have you, you have received from God? You're not your own. You are bought at a price. I was bought at a price. Look at me. How could anyone buy me? I don't know why. But he blooming loves me. Despite it all. Oh, who would ever want to show a DVD of the worst five things he did in the last three years? And we put it on now. That would be shocking, wouldn't it? We don't want it, do we? We don't want to see it, do we? The Lord Jesus sees all of it. And he goes, he's clean because of my death. He's not guilty because I took the punishment. And he's my slave, and I'm going to lavish love on him, and my spirit's going to live in him, and I'm going to keep reminding him that he's mine. And every time he screws it up, I'm bringing him back online. So start learning to think clearly and take responsibility. That this is true of you all the time, even in the middle of sin. Absolutely magnificent. Just turn with me to uh, Romans 8 because uh, we're not quite home yet, right? Uh, I think I'll have time for one more. So let's have a look at Romans 8. We should read because I've been jumping around a bit. Carrying your cross is hard, right? Okay? It's tough. Take up your cross. Trust in Christ. Put your faith in Christ. See, I've got a lot of years than you, and I'm way closer to the other end, probably. But you know what gets more precious and makes you less cynical, and somebody wants to change the world more and more as you get older, if you trust these truths of the cross? This. A day is coming when there'll be no more fighting with sin. Total liberation. Total see through, x ray see through, love for God and love for each other. No angles, nothing dodgy. And I'm probably closer to it than any of you. And though I'm not ready to go, I'd like to stay around. I can't wait. Because I'm fed up of slipping off the side with that bungee rope attached to me and getting back up the bank. And I can't wait till the day's over when I meet my master. He goes, right, come on, in you come. How are you? Let's get on with it. But you've got your eyes fixed on it. Fixed on it. Let me just do one more picture then. Uh, There's others there, but uh, they're things that you can look at in, in your own time. The four perhaps major pictures that are used which I know you've touched on earlier in some seminars Christ died for sin, penal substitution once for all the picture of the temple, the righteous for the unrighteous, a picture of the law court to bring you um, Christ died once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God freed from slavery and one more thing then the picture of a home and reconciliation from the partition of sin Your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Isaiah 59 verse 2. Can I read that again? I've got about six more minutes, okay? So stick with this last one with me. Your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear you. God doesn't hear you. He cannot hear somebody. He has no relationship with somebody if they haven't trusted in Christ. You're cut off. It's horrid, isn't it? You're cut off. You're not welcomed here. You cannot come into this house. You're not in my family. It's a partition. <clears throat> but listen to 2 Corinthians 5:18 to 19 Talking about our salvation and our being welcomed home. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. I know somebody who's transgender and I did the research. I looked some things up on being transgender. Do you know what the stats where they were horrible? Horrible. Something like 80% of teenagers were transgender never see their family again after the age of about 16 or 17 now that may change but those are the stats at the moment something like 40 to 50% until this is up to 2 years ago end up in some kind of ghetto where they just hang out with people of the same makeup and don't integrate into mainstream life as it were don't get a job uh, don't have normal community and I saw interviews with parents of these children some of these children and children of the parents and the longer it went the greater the partition and they couldn't go back and it hardens and hardens until they can't talk anymore and it was tremendously sad to try and read about it and to think about it really sad and it was the most recent thing I read when I was thinking about partition because as a part of every human being in the world whether they say they believe in God or not if God really is there And if he made us, and if we're made in his image and his likeness, whether we despise him or love him, there'll be part of all of us who now and again, I've done enough funerals in my life to to know this, who say, is there something there, Graham? You know I don't believe, but there must be some hope. There's something, isn't there? That's something in this that says, in Bible language, I want to be reconciled, I want to come home. I want to come home to you. Jesus speaks about this a lot in his parables. So the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15 is a great example. His dad has to let him go. And the partition is great and the son won't come. When the son comes to his senses and worked out how much the dad loves him. And this parable must always be taken like all the parables in the context that somebody paid the price for the boy to come home. Jesus will pay that price at the cross for him to come home. But we can say to ourselves and to the whole world, and it's just the last picture I'll use of the diamond. This is how Jesus is. Come home. That's why I died on a cross. I died so the partition could be torn down. My blood has taken the partition away. Come home. And the Christian has every right to turn to the watching world and say, Come home. Jesus died to take the partition away. But the Lord Jesus would say to you today, because look at us, there's a number of us in the room, and like we sort of smile at the the slavery thing, you know, on the bungee rope. It's just another slight angle on it. If you don't think you can come home to Jesus now because of something you've done, you're a great fool because on the cross jesus was reconciling us to him to god he did it once for all god will always have me back i am his child i'm in his family i can't do anything to be excluded if i belong to christ i'm always welcome even when the guy gets up in the middle of something that he knew he shouldn't be doing to somebody he knew he shouldn't be doing it to and the abuse that was in it in doing that when he knew he didn't love her and he wasn't with her and he knew that he was offside and he still walks away and says God do you really accept me and it's as if on this last picture the Lord Jesus of the cross says I died because you did that I've reconciled that the accounts are paid for it come here now like the father in the parable. Isn't this outrageous? That there isn't a moment that the Lord Jesus isn't saying to you, Come here, I want to hug you. If you are Welsh, I'll teach you a word. Kutch. A kutch. It's a beautiful word, Owen, isn't it? Kutch. Kutch me. Cuddle me. Cuddle me, please. It's all it can ever mean. Please give me a kutch. Love me, it says. Love me. Children say, Daddy you can have a Kutch. Weary old boys like me say, oh, give us a couch." The Lord Jesus reconciled us and the couch is always there. Come on, you. Let me hug you. But I've just done that. I don't care. I paid the penalty. I took the punishment. Come to my home. You're my child. Here. Now, come on. And you've got to believe it by faith. You don't feel it. That's what faith in Christ is. You don't feel these things. You act on them. Faith doesn't drive you. Facts do. The facts of the cross, the facts of the gospel are what you put first. The gospel train is pulled by facts. And the feelings fall into line. The mind, the word of God to the mind, into the heart brings life. In the words, thinking of Wales, of a famous Welsh preacher who's long dead, Martin Lloyd-Jones, Christianity is logic on fire. Ha! Think clearly. Think biblically. Think of the pictures of the cross. Think of what Jesus achieved. And let the logic catch fire when you go, I don't belong over here. I'm clean because of Christ I can't be punished. Because he was punished. I'm back. I'm not a slave to all this crap. No, I'm not. I'm a slave to Christ. And he accepts me for it. I don't belong over there. They don't own me. It doesn't own me. I belong to Christ. I'm back with him now. I'm standing on Christ. I am welcome home. He'll always welcome me home. Because he reconciled me at the cross. And he's always got his arms open for a coach. Believe it. Act on it. Trust Christ for it, because he died to make it possible. God, being a Christian is the greatest, most revolutionary, most marvellous, life-breathing and giving truth in the universe. But I close with this. It stems back to God himself being your substitute for your sin on a filthy Roman cross, out of a massive love and true justice, and that's why these truths can be applied to us. Oh, it's easy when you're talking, see, to get excited about them. But you know what? It can easily be false, isn't it? Anyone who ever talks in public knows that. Because you drive your car, you go home. Or it's a rubbish day tomorrow. Or you're full of it and full of yourself in a couple of days' time because of something that happens. And the truths of the cross must never be far away. Never far away. Never far away. And then your heart comes into line with him. And Christ is king. The king who suffered. That you. You. May be clean without pollution. May be justified without guilt. May be a slave to Jesus as he lives with you. And is the best master you ever had committed to your welfare and the household of God which always has him welcoming you home all the time. Let me pray for us. Oh Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you so much. So many things, such a long day. Thank you for the time in seminars to reflect in smaller numbers and to chew things over together. Thank you for marvellous singing where we... Hear these truths in words and sing them and encourage each other with them. Lord, give each one of us just one thing at least that we can take away that helps us see the cross and who you are at it and what it means for me today. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, as we sing together, I wonder if that might be a reasonable thing to think if you've been note-taking or you're a listener or you've been daydreaming that's fine because it happens but will there be something that you say I'm going to hold on to this truth from today it may have been left field from what I was talking about or the seminars were about but a truth about the cross that you say I'm going to act on that